So I know that sounds weird. We're supposed to be in John, but we're going to do a topical study today. Okay, I know, topical. I'm not a heretic, so just, you know, hold your rocks for now, your stones. Um, we're coming up on our summer outreaches and everything, and I wanted to have a week of prayer and fasting. So that won't be this week, but the following week. Okay, we'll meet out in uh, Parfit Park. We'll pray out there. We'll do it Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then Wednesday, we'll have um, a semi-normal service in the park, except we'll pray, and we'll probably have sandwiches, because if anybody's doing a whole fast, hot dogs and hamburgers, probably make you bloated and sick. So we'll do just um, some, some sandwiches and stuff, and uh, um, hopefully nobody will hurt themselves eating that. So, um, But remember, Church in the Park, that will start... Wednesday the 15th, all right, which is also my wife's birthday, so we can maybe, oh, cake on fasting. We'll bring like a rice cake. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we are going to study on fasting today. I want you guys to know what it is. I want you guys to be ready to fast. Um, it should be something that's a part of our lives as believers. We follow the Lord. The Lord fasted, and we want to follow him, and we want to do what he did. We want to follow the example that he set forth for us. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, but let's pray. Um, Lord, we just, um, we again thank you so much for all the goodness that you've shown us, the grace that you've given us, Lord. And um, I pray that we would understand this discipline, um, what it is. I pray that you'd help me to declare it, to explain it, and... Um, Lord, that you'd be glorified. And we praise you, we love you, we thank you so much in your name. Amen. All right, so let's read Matthew 6, 16 through 18. It says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Remember what a hypocrite is? It's an actor, okay? Someone who acts like they're doing something, but they're really doing something else. The hypocrite in a Greek play would have a mask, a happy mask, and then a sad mask or an angry mask, and they would keep switching masks. Okay, so that's a hypocrite, and uh, the Lord uses this as a rebuke to the religious who aren't really following after the Lord. Instead, they are um, pleasing themselves. They're trying to look holy, even though they are not. So they're putting up their holy mask of fasting is what they're doing. So moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Notice it says appear to men to be fasting. They're not really fasting. They just appear that way. They appear like they have a broken heart for the Lord, but they don't. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So their reward is a pat on the back by men. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So... First off, what is fasting? Is fasting a command? Is it commanded for us to fast in Scripture? New Testament, no. There's never given a command where we are to fast. They did have the Day of Atonement, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, in the Old Testament, but that's a ceremonial law. We are not under obligation to the ceremonial law in the Old Testament. Okay? Um, is it, but it is completely voluntary. Okay? And also the Lord, did he say, he said, um, moreover, if you fast, if you decide to fast one of these days, 
don't be like the hypocrites. No, he says when you fast. He's assuming that this is a practice that his followers will do, will take part in. Um, so what is fasting? It's depriving yourself of food, of comfort, um, for the purpose of prayer and drawing closer to the Lord, right? And we're going to get into the reasons why we fast. Um, it could be, and there's, there's different ways to fast. It could be a partial fast. Some people, breastfeeding, Nick, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's holding the baby, but that probably wasn't appropriate. <laughs> um, if, you know, there's for some reason you can't do a full fast or something like that, you partial fast. You work really hard. You're moving heavy objects all day. You might pass out if you go into a full fast and you're thinking, well, that's not going to be healthy, and that's not going to be glorifying to God when they have to take me in an ambulance to the hospital. So um, you can do a partial fast. Some people fast from coffee. Some people fast from all meats and breads and stuff like that, and they just eat fruits and vegetables. Um, there are different ways to fast. John the Baptist, this is a good one to practice, ate locusts and wild honey. Okay, so just go get, get a big grasshopper, you know, take a bite, and... Uh, You'll be sustained for the whole day. No, I'm just kidding. And wild honey is what John the Baptist took, which was a form of a fast. Um, Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel ate only, only vegetables because they would not take part in the king's delicacies. So they ate only vegetables. Um, and then there's also a complete fast where you say just water. Um, we also see in Daniel that he eats the bread of affliction. And which we'll, we'll look at too in just a moment, but just matzo bread, you know? Unleavened bread is, is what he ate, drink only water. He didn't allow any wine, any fruit, anything like that, any meat to pass beyond his lips. Um, and what is the purpose of fasting? So it's something else we're going to look at. First, sorrow. Mourning and fasting. Mourning and sorrow and fasting are synonymous in the scriptures from, from looking at this. Um, we fast for repentance. You have a sin that you just keep falling into. You fast for it. You seek the Lord in it. You ask him for the power to overcome it. Okay? Um, pleading with the Lord over something. And that could be sin. It could be for somebody else, for a loved one. It could be for your nation. It could be, um, it could be for a number of things that you would plead to the Lord for and you would seek him and you wouldn't eat um, or you would afflict yourself for, for that reason. And again, it's not, it's not a hunger strike saying, and like you're trying to force the arm of the Lord to do something for you. All right? That's not what it is. The Lord cannot be manipulated in any way whatsoever. So don't ever think that by your prayers or by fasting or by doing anything that you can manipulate the Lord. Okay? I think we all fall into this. Why did Jesus say, do not let your... Um, don't think you're going to be heard because of your many words when you pray. You know, because they were trying to manipulate the Lord. Well, if I pray this, 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 and I pray for so long, then the Lord's going to have to come down and um, give me what I want. That's not how it works. We always just rely on his mercy, on his goodness, on his grace, on his love for his saved ones, for his children. Um, fasting is also used as worship. It's an act of worship. Fasting is used to seek the Lord, to know him, to be in his presence, to draw near to him. It says, draw near to the Lord in the book of James, and he will draw near to you. Um, and it is afflicting your soul, as the Bible says. Afflicting your soul. Um, in the Old Testament, you have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And 
It's, uh, so go ahead and go back there, go to Leviticus chapter 16, and we're going to be reading a lot of scripture today, so make sure you have your Bible in your hand, so that way you just don't fall asleep while I'm reading. Okay. Leviticus chapter 16, so you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, it's near the beginning of your Bible. Leviticus 16, and this is speaking of the Day of Atonement. And the um, Day of Atonement occurs in September, October, and it's designated, it's actually called the fast. We see this in the New Testament, Acts 27, 9, it says, Now which much time has been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. It was speaking of the Day of Atonement. So Leviticus 16, 29-31 says, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. And afflicting your souls, speaking of fasting, you're to mourn. And do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. How can you come before the Lord on the day of atonement, asking him to forgive your sins and not have a broken heart, to not have a contrite spirit? That is hypocritical religion. Okay? It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. Um, There's also the fast in Daniel, which I already mentioned, where you ate no pleasant food. It says in Daniel um, 10, 2 through 3, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning. And I think you could write in your margin, he was fasting. He's going to tell you what he was doing. Um, He was mourning three full weeks. He says, I ate no pleasant food, literally, Okay, almost an idiom for I ate the bread of affliction. I had matzah for three whole weeks. I don't think he picked out on matzah. He just ate what he he needed. Matzah is what we use for communion. So you know that real dry bread? Imagine eating that for every meal of the day. Okay? Um, Then he says, no meat. Uh, He says, I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all until three whole weeks were fulfilled. And then speaking of eating the Passover, Deuteronomy 16.3 says, you shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. Okay, so again, bread of affliction. This is a way to fast. That Daniel fasted, that the people of Israel were to fast, only eating the bread of affliction. Um, so that's a way to fast, just... But we also see that you also can eat nothing for a fast. Right? If you've never done that before, I wouldn't recommend just jumping into it in like three-day whole fast or a week or anything like that. Um, maybe a day. Maybe you could also say, you know what, I'm not going to eat breakfast. Instead of eating breakfast, I am going to pray to the Lord. Or instead of eating lunch, I'm on my lunch break at work. I've got half an hour. I'm going to spend that half hour in prayer to the Lord. Right? Um, so why fast? What are the reasons why we should fast, though? Number one, sorrow. Sorrow, as we've already mentioned. Um, I want you guys to go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And Matthew 6 is our primary text, so we're going to be going back to that. So you could keep a finger in there. Um, but Matthew 9, just a few chapters forward. 
Starting in verse 14, it says, Then the disciples of John came to him, to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples did not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? You know, he's saying, I'm here right now. Why would they mourn? I am here. The, all the prophecies that have been spoken of since Moses, that God gave to Moses, are being fulfilled. This is a time of great joy. The king is here. The Messiah is here. So he says, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And I want you to notice, if you were to go over to Mark chapter 2, verse 19, Mark chapter 2, verse 19. And I'm going to read what Jesus said again in Matthew, but keep going over to Mark chapter 2. He says, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Okay, then in Mark chapter 2, verse 19, same um, account. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom, what does it say? Fast while the bridegroom is with them. See how it's interchangeable there? They're almost like synonymous terms. It's just that fasting is um, a little more descriptive of what you're, you're doing. You're mourning, but you're... Just, just think of it this way. If one of my kids were to be sick at the, and at the point of death, would I take my wife to a restaurant, have a nice meal, and while they're in the hospital writhing in pain and agony and at the point of death... No, I'd be mourning. Nobody could comfort me. There's not a person in this world that could bring me comfort at a time like that. That's what mourning and fasting are. David, King David, fasted for his enemies when they were sick. I want you guys to go to Psalm 35. Psalm 35, verse 11. So you could probably almost go to the middle of your Bible. Psalm 35, verse 11. Okay, everybody close? So verse 11, Psalm 35, it says, Fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things I do not know. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. So that's what his enemies are doing to him. Asking him things they don't know. To asking him to give an account because there's some conspiracy against him or something. They're accusing him of something. Um, they reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer would return to, to my own heart. I paced about as though he were my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. Look at David's love that he has for his enemies. For his enemies. This is a warrior king. He cut down thousands upon thousands of people. And he is mourning for them when they're sick. And when he says, my prayer would return to my own heart, um, or better bosom, more literally. That is, David, he's in a 
posture of humility, bowed down before the Lord for, the, for his enemies, pleading to the Lord for them. And they are, um, and he's praying, and it's like, it's like he's got this circular, repetitious prayer. So he says, my prayer of my lips would return to my own bosom. So it, like, it goes back into his heart, comes back out of his mouth, goes back into his heart, comes back out of his mouth, and keeps growing more and more intense as he prays for his enemies. Right? So just imagine him doing this, this warrior king, fasting in great sorrow and humility before the Lord, knowing that his enemy is sick. And if they die, what is going to happen to them? What is going to happen to his enemies? The fierce wrath of Almighty God will be upon them, right? They'll be in torment forever, for all of eternity. And David knows that. He understands that. He understands the condition of, of humanity, that we are a fallen people, that we must be saved. Right? How about us? Are we praying? Are we fasting? A lot of us probably don't have enemies. Some of us might have people who truly do hate you, who truly say vile, disgusting things, and maybe the members of your own household. I know I said vile and disgusting things even to my own mother when she was saved and I was not. Vile things, blasphemies against the Lord to her just to hurt her. And I know she wept and prayed, and I'm sure she probably fasted. So are we praying for our enemies, though? Or are we praying for those who persecute us and say all kinds of evil things about us? Do we pray for them? If you're a policeman, you're probably surrounded by your enemies. Do you pray for your enemies? For these people who have been destroyed by sin and Satan and don't know the Lord? Or us, when we see somebody walking down the street, we think, what a scumbag. What a loser. Or we think, oh God, please help them. What makes us more precious than them? And fasting for them and mourning for them as if their eternity depended upon it. You fast for your friends and coworkers? Maybe you're saying, no, I haven't. I feel so condemned. Well, I'm giving you a chance. You know, we're getting a chance in the next couple of weeks to do this. You know, do we mourn for them, cry out for them? Or we think, no, I really don't have a broken heart for the lost. I really don't have a broken heart, even for some of my family members. I really don't have a broken heart for the people of gold. Then guess what? Fast and pray that you do. It's a time to consecrate yourself to the Lord as well. To bring your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, I know my heart's not right. But you can make it right. You are able. You are able to make me right before you. And to give me a heart that breaks for what breaks yours. 
You know, it says in Ecclesiastes, much, sor- much knowledge, much sorrow. All right? If you have much knowledge, you'll have much sorrow. If you have much knowledge of the Lord, you're going to have much sorrow for the people who don't know the Lord. You're also going to have much sorrow for the Lord. He is the great king, mighty to be praised. And people aren't praising him. People aren't worshiping him. It should break our hearts. And either we don't have knowledge if our hearts aren't breaking, or we're indifferent, or we're indifferent to the condition of the people around us, to their sin, to the rebellion against God, to their rejecting his love and his faithfulness to them. Right? And so we can pray for that. Lord, give me a heart like that. Give me a heart like David. In Psalm 69, 9 through 10, it says, Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who have reproached you have fallen on me. And this is a prophecy about Jesus. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. He chastened his soul with fasting. I want you guys to go to Judges 19. I prayed hard about using this um, account, but I think it'll be helpful. It's a horrible, disgusting account. It's probably one that will make everyone in here cringe. It makes me cringe every time I read it. So Judges chapter 19. So you got um, uh, Joshua. You have the first five books of Moses, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you have Joshua. Then you have Judges. And then what is it, Ruth? And then you have 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. So... No, it doesn't have to be. It can be, can be multiple things. So Judges 19. Um, just a little background. There's this Levite. His uh, concubine leaves him to be a harlot, be a prostitute or something. We're not really told exactly what's going on. He finds her at, his father's, at her father's house. He goes back. He speaks kindly to her. Please come back with me. Who knows what happened? Um, maybe they had a spat or something. I don't know. Um, but they are going back to Jerusalem, I believe it is, and they stop at um, Gibeah. Let me actually go there. Um, before that, they were going to stop at um, somewhere else. I can't remember where it was, but it was in a uh, Jewish-occupied um, area. I think it was the Jebusites is where he was going to go. And so his, uh, his servant says, well, let's stop with the Jebusites and lodge there. He says, no, let's stop with a tribe of Israel. And so they go there. They meet an old man in the city square. Kind of reminds you a lot of Sodom and Gomorrah, this account does. Um, and the man begs him, says, don't, don't stay out here. Come to my house. Come to my house. And so it says, verse 22, Judges 19 It says, as they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, literally sons of Belial, means worthless men, maybe even sons of Satan. Um, And remember where they're at. They're in 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 Gibeah, but it's occupied by Benjamin, by their brothers, right? By people who are part of Israel. So perverted men surrounded the house and beat on the door. 
They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him carnally. Okay, they want to rape him. And, note, and remember, he's a Levite. In Sodom and Gomorrah, it was two angels, right? These perverted men, these sons of Belial, want to take what is holy and desecrate it. Right? And so they say, bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him carnally. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, no, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing that this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. And here's where it gets even worse. Look here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them. Do and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not do such a vile thing. But the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine, brought her out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. And just a side note, um, these men are cowards. This Levite, supposed to be a priest of the Most High God, is being a total coward. What did the Lord do for us? We are weak, unable to defend ourselves. He didn't take an angel and send him out under God's wrath. He took himself out. God sent his only son to protect us, to save us. This is not the heart of, heart of the Lord that this man has done. Jesus Christ gave himself rather than letting his bride, the church, be abused, destroyed. Right? He is courageous and full of love and compassion on us. Then the women, so verse 26 then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was till it was light. When her master arose in the morning and opened the door of the house and went out to go his way. What a, every time I just read this, I'm like, what a jerk. I lost my place. And he said to her, get up and let's be going. But there was no answer. So the man lifted her onto the donkey, and the man got up and went into his place. When he entered his house, he took a knife. Okay, I told you this was going to be disturbing. He took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, and divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. So consider it, get together, let's find out what we're going to do about this. Judgment has to take place. And so um, I'm going to kind of summarize chapter 20 a little bit. So here's what happens in a nutshell. Israel goes out to fight with Benjamin. First they say, they go into Benjamin, they say, bring out those perverted men, bring out those wicked men, so that we can deal with them. Benjamin protects them. The, the city of Benjamin protects those wicked men who did this awful, horrible thing. And so they inquire of the Lord. They, get, um, they muster a, um, an army of 400,000 men. They go up. Benjamin has 26,000 men, so not nearly as many, but they also have the Gibeonites. 
And they are expert marksmen with a sling. Okay? A sling in those days would be like a gun, like bringing a gun to a knife fight. You know? So they cut down um, 22,000 men of Judah and win that battle. They inquire of the Lord. They go out again, and uh, another 18,000 men of Israel get slaughtered. And so they lose twice. So what is it that the Lord is doing? Why would he tell them, go out there, fight against them, and then let them lose? Let them be cut down. I believe he's bringing out a national revival in this case. From this point, and as you read Judges, and and the previous chapter, chapter 18, um, there's another Levite. And he is uh, um, kind of hired by, by a certain man, and then the tribe of Dan comes and robs this guy of all of his idols, all of his false gods and stuff, and takes his Levite, his priest, okay? Because he's kind of like a priest for hire in a way. And so um, they have this sense of duty and religion, but they don't have a relationship with the Lord. They don't really know him. They don't really serve him. They just kind of mix him into the, to the mush that they've concocted of religion, right? So they have these false gods that they're serving, they're taking and all this stuff, and then they say, oh, here's a priest. Let's take him too. So they don't really have a heart for the Lord. They have a heart for their duty and their religion. And so I believe that the Lord's bringing out a a revival in Israel. So it says in Judges 20, I want you guys to go there, Judges 20, 26 through 28, and look what happens. After two times being defeated by Benjamin, and also Benjamin was left-handed, okay? And according to Rocky Balboa, nobody, nobody wants to fight a southpaw, okay? Nobody wants to fight someone who's left-handed. It just messes you all up. Um, so Judges 20, 26 through 28, and Rocky Balboa does know a thing or two about boxing, even though he's fictional. Okay, just kidding. All right, then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept. So they go to the temple, they weep. They sat there before the Lord and fasted day, that day until evening. So they go to the house of the Lord and they fast all day long, all day long until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, so he's a priest, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? Or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Now before previous times, they had gone to the house of the Lord to inquire of the Lord. But there's no mention of pouring out uh, burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. No mention of fasting. No mention of a priest. Perhaps they were trying to just do it to do it. I don't know what they were doing. Um, I'd have to speculate a little bit. Um, but now they are truly walking in the way of as the God's covenant people. They are doing the things that the Lord has prescribed. And so um, the Lord says, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. But look what they did. They wept. They sorrowed. They mourned for what had been done in Israel. 
for the fact that they're fighting against their brothers, for the fact that their brother brothers are getting cut down and slaughtered. I just think that's such a deed that justice is not being done in Israel among God's chosen people, among his holy nation that he has set apart out of all the kingdoms of the earth, that such injustice could take place. I'm sure that that's why they are weeping and fasting. And I think, do we ever wonder why we have hardship? Why we have defeat? Why we have delay in life? It seems like one thing after another and trials keep coming and coming and coming. Could it not be that the Lord wants you that by all these trials and everything that's going on, he is shaping and molding you and sanctifying you and creating a greater likeness of Jesus Christ in your life. That is what trials do. God brought them to that point by defeat after defeat to where they would truly have a heart for what had happened. So they would truly be broken and humble and mourn and fast and weep and wail over what has happened. And I think a lot of times the same things for us because our hearts are idol factories. They're idol factories. We'll take anything and turn it into an idol, whether it's ministry, church, our wives, our children, our toys, cars, TV programs, whatever it is, we will turn them into idols when the Lord wants us. And he wants us to serve him and to desire his presence and his person rather than even just what he can give us. And we should also mourn because I've already kind of mentioned it because he is not worshiped. He is worthy of every heart in this city in this country, on the face of this planet. I was praying the other night, and I was just thinking, Lord, you gave us smiles. I have these muscles that smile like this. <laughs> that was my best Hillary Clinton uh, imitation. Sorry. Um, and those smiles are to be for him. I smile at my kids, but they are a gift from God. Just think, everything that there is, everything that there is, the fish in the ocean, the trees, the mountains, everything that there is is for him. Every human being is for him. And yet, we deny him what is his. We deny him. That should break our hearts as well. And just think, people worship everything but him. Worship football, worship music, worship TV programs, worship our cars, worship our wives, our kids, our husbands. And it's all because of the comfort they give us. That brings up another point, just got me thinking. When you're fasting, you're stripping away your comforts, saying, Lord, only you, only you. I'm not grouchy and tired and miserable because I'm fasting. 
I'm grouchy and miserable and tired because that's who I am. You're stripping away the things that cage that in. Right? And so when I'm fasting and I'm still submitting to the Lord and I'm praying and I'm not being grouchy and I'm just apologizing now, Daisha, <laughs> you know, it's because I've stripped away the things that are comforting me. I guess that's, that's really me. And it's scary. That's disgusting to the Lord. But he has grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. He loves us so much that he died for us, knowing what we are. Isn't that beautiful? Does that not bring comfort to your heart? But just thinking about worshiping the Lord. It says in Romans 11.36, For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory for eternity. Amen. And then in Hebrews 2.10, it says, For whom all things and by whom are all things. For whom are all things and by whom are all things. He's the creator and everything is for him. You are saved for him. Set aside for him. And so he is worthy. I like the poem by C.T. Studd. I think it's Studd or Sud. I don't know. It says, only one life, will, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So we can do all these things in this world. We can have our little idols and everything like that, but the only thing that will last is what's done for Christ, what's done for him. Now I want you guys to turn to Exodus 32.11 because the second point is who are we praying for? I believe that in a fast and I believe the more I read the Bible the more I read the prayers in the Bible the more I understand that the prayers are for the Lord. Our prayers we think that it's okay I got a headache I got a stomachache so and so is dying all this stuff but really our prayers should be for the Lord that he gets what is his, that he is glorified, that he is honored. So I want you guys, again, go to Exodus chapter 32. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, it says, and I want you to notice, okay, Moses is acting as a priest. He's standing in the gap for Israel because the Lord's about ready to destroy them. It says, then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people, whom you have bought, brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by, by your own self. And said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Who is, the, who is Moses praying for? Is he praying for the people of Israel? Or is he praying for the reputation of God? What did he say there? Um, 
Why should the Egyptians speak? Why should your enemies speak and say he brought them out only to harm them? Lord, your reputation is at stake here. For he's not just praying for Israel. I mean, he is. But at the same time, he's praying that the Lord's name would be lifted on high, that all the earth would see his glory and his loving kindness and his faithfulness to, his, to fulfill his promises. That is what he is praying. Now go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's interceding. Daniel chapter 9. So you got, um, you got the major prophets. You have Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. Okay, if you hit Hosea or Amos, Habakkuk, or any of those, you've gone too far. It's after Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, all those. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says, you have, been, you have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights I kept, I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and do not look on the stubbornness of this people, nor on their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought them brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them out of the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you have brought out by your mighty power and your outstretched arm. Who's Daniel praying for? He is praying for, he's interceding for the people, but he's also praying that the Lord's reputation would be upheld. That people would know his greatness, his love, his long-suffering for his people. That he is a God who keeps his promises. Right? That's what he is praying for. Now go back to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9. So backtrack there in Matthew a little bit. This is the Lord's Prayer. Or the model prayer, some call it. Okay, this is how the Lord taught us to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's hallowed mean? It means to be regarded as holy. May all the earth know that your name is holy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Who's the Lord teaching us to pray for there? For the Lord, for God. For the Father, that his name would be hallowed, that his will would be done, that his kingdom would come, that all of his purposes would be accomplished here. That's what we are praying for. We also pray for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're only praying for earthly things, your prayers are going to be really short. I don't believe that you're going to really have a heart for the Lord, but when you begin praying for the Lord, praying for the things that he is concerned about, 
when you come alongside with what he is doing, which is what we're supposed to do, I think your prayer life will be changed dramatically. It will. So fasting is synonymous with mourning and sorrow. Um, we're to pray for the things of the Lord. Fasting is also seen in repentance. In repentance, right? When we're in sin and we need to repent, we can fast over those things. In, in the book of Joel, so once you go there, I told you we're going to be reading a lot of scripture. So Joel's right before Amos, after Hosea and Daniel. So if you go back to Daniel, then just take a right, a couple pages, you'll find Joel. Um, in Joel, destruction is coming. The day of the Lord is at hand. Um, and it's this picture of this swarm of locusts that are going to come and just devour. And this may be speaking more of, a, of an army that's going to come and wipe out Israel. There's a lot of d- debate when Joel was written, if it was written pre um, Babylonian captivity or Assyrian or after the fact. And so it's, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit hard to interpret. I didn't have enough time to do a full study on Joel. I know Aaron's done a lot of work in the Minor Prophets, so he may have a better idea if you're curious and want to ask him. Um, but destruction is coming on Israel. And verses 1, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, uh, Lord makes it known he's the one who's executing this judgment on his people. And so, but I want to look at verse 12. And it says, Now therefore, says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babies, let the bridegroom, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. So just stop what you're doing, stop your wedding, stop everything, and come and repent and turn to the Lord and be ready to follow him and be consecrated to him. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? But do you see the heart of repentance there? We don't just pray for our own repentance, but also for national repentance, right? That's what they're praying for. They were the people of God, people of God. We could pray for repentance of God's church. Because the church is filled with men with little idol factories as hearts, the church is filled with idols. Whether it's programs, or it's technology, or it's how good they can communicate what they teach. Pray for repentance in the church. Pray for me that I would repent, that the Lord would show me my sin so that I could lead under the Lord rather than by the wickedness of my own heart. I think, why should we repent? Why should we pray 
even for our nation. When I think of it, it's terrifying to think of what kind of world our kids are going to grow up in, where we are subject to subjective truth rather than objective truth. We are subject now to a government who says, if somebody wants to be a boy, they can be a boy. And they can go into whatever bathroom they want. And we have to bend the knee and allow it. Or be fined. You know, pray for our country. We are soon going to have another godless leader in the White House. Either way you look at it, whether it's Trump or Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton, it's going to be a godless leader unless the Lord intervenes. And he can. He can intervene. Just think of the church as becoming more and more apostate. More and more churches are accepting homosexuals in leadership. They're forsaking what the Bible says and doing what feels good doing what's right in their own eyes. Destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. Whether we implode or the Lord sends somebody to judge us. Somewhere, and I don't know how long. I'm not prophesying this or anything like that. But it's obvious. A nation that forsakes God and continues on that You know, soon we'll be cursing Israel. I'm sure we already have. Pray. Pray. Fast and pray. Mourn. Have a broken heart for what is going on here. Just think of what our children are going to grow up in. And there's no place to hide. I'm sure one of these days you guys will be fined for coming to church. I'll be fined. We won't get tax returns or something. They'll find ways to penalize us. It will happen. Unless we repent. Unless the Lord does a mighty, mighty work here. So we can fast and we can pray now. We can repent now. Or we can continue to sleep We can share the gospel. Expect the Lord to work. Or we can just sleep through it, and then one day we'll be woken up and it will be painful. Okay, point five. Um, Another reason to fast, sometimes God reveals himself or his will to us. I want you guys... um, or just go ahead and listen. But go to Jan- Daniel chapter 10. While you're going there, I'm going to read Acts 13. It says, Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So how did they know that there was, um, who they were supposed to send? By fasting and prayer, they had prophets too. I mean, that always helps when you have a prophet, someone who's just got that direct line with the Lord. You know, if anybody has that, just speak up. 
Um, but fasting and prayer, I believe that you will know things about the Lord. He will teach you things. He will reveal things to you through fasting that he won't otherwise. That he won't otherwise. So Daniel chapter 10, I should have been going there too. Daniel chapter 10. It says, in the third year, verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, or Hidekel in Hebrew, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man was clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like burl, burl is a yellow jasper stone, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. So could this be Jesus? Maybe. We see that he's resisted by the prince of Persia for 21 days and needed Michael the archangel's help. So I don't think that the Lord would need help with that. Um, but the appearance of him is just like in the book of Revelation. So honestly, I don't really know what's going on. I studied it a little bit last night. Um, but uh, beside the point, he says, I, Daniel, was al alone, saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw the great vision and no strength remained in me for my vigor was turned into frailty in me, and I retained no strength, yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, with, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling." Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, I believe he humbled himself by prayer and fasting, right? He wanted to understand and he humbled himself before his God. Your words were heard and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I, have, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So the point I want to make, though, is Daniel's fasting, he's praying, and he gets revelation. Right? And again, you can't force the hand of the Lord. Don't think you can. To giving you what you want, to revealing to you what you want. He decides. He is abundantly wise beyond, we can, beyond what we can imagine. And we can trust him just to be good to us. But he did get revelation from the Lord. Whether this was an angel or Jesus himself, I don't know. But by fasting, depriving ourselves of the desired flesh, 
We are also drawing closer to the Lord, right? We're just seeking him, crying out to him. Lord, we need your presence. We need you with us. We need your hand on us. We need you. And you also may fast when you're pleading with the Lord for something, right? Um, Think of uh, Hannah. She was barren. She goes to the house of the Lord. She's weeping. She's fasting. She wouldn't eat because her husband's other wife, which always makes things hard, kept tormenting her because she had all these kids and stuff. She was barren, and um, she doesn't eat, but she ends up going to the Lord and uh, praying to him. Eli, the priest there, says, woman, put away your wine, because he sees her lips moving, but nothing coming out. And she says, I'm not drinking. I'm praying. I'm an anguish of soul. And she's the one who bears Samuel, who anoints Saul and David as kings over Israel, and he's the last judge of Israel, too. In the book of Esther, um, Haman has conspired against the Jews to annihilate them. When word gets back to Esther from Mordecai, her uncle, um, who is queen of the land of Babylon and also a Jew, it says this, she says this, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me um, because she's going to go before the king and it's legal for her to go before the king unless he calls her. It says, neither eat, drink, Either, neither, I'm sorry, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, for if I perish, I perish. It says, fast, fast for me. The Lord gives me favor and gives me audience with the king so that I can stop this. When David's son gets sick, he um, commits adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. The boy becomes ill. And uh, David pleads with God for the child, pleads with him and fasts for him. And when the boy dies, his servants are thinking, oh my goodness, how are we going to tell him he's been praying and fasting like this? He might do something rash. He might throw himself off the, off the roof of the, of the castle or whatever it is. He may kill himself if he finds out the child dies. He sees them talking and he goes, puts on his regular clothes, goes and sits down and eats some meals. And he says, um, Perhaps the Lord may have had mercy. But now I can't bring him back to me, but I will go to him. He knew where his son was, that he was in heaven. But David pleaded and fasted before the Lord. Fasting is also a form of worship. Anna, in the temple, when Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2, it says that she was, um, did not depart from the temple, but served or worshipped God, with fasting and prayers night and day, it's a form of worship, to humble yourself before the Lord. Worship, worth-ship. You are worthy. So now we know what fasting is, okay? Um, What is it not? And I'm going to try to wrap it up here. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 It says, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may be appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. This is hypocritical fasting. It's fasting, but you don't have a broken heart. You don't really care. It's just for show. Um, Isaiah 58. I want you guys, it's homework. Go and read Isaiah 58. You guys don't mind if I just read it now, do you? I'm just going to read it now, actually, because... It's a 
pretty key passage on fasting. Isaiah 58. Verse 1, it says, Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression. This is the Lord speaking to Isaiah. And the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. So they're pretenders. They're pretending that they seek after righteousness and don't forsake the ordinance of their God, but they do and they fast and they act like they don't. But they're just pretending. They're hypocrites. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? So they're complaining to God in the midst of their hypocritical fasting and their, um, their show, their show. They don't really have a heart for what the Lord has a heart for. They have a heart for themselves and for their religion. And it says, in fact, in the day of your fast, this is the Lord's answer, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. We fast to make our voices heard on high, right? But it's because we have a heart for what the Lord has a heart for. He says, verse 5, Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? That's like a soggy piece of grass. It's just, you know. And to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring your house, bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning and your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places you shall rise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repair, repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. So don't let your fasting just be pretend. Right? Let it be from your heart for the Lord. And don't think that it's going to please the Lord. You don't have audience before the Lord because you're fasting. It's because of his graciousness. And if you're being cruel to your wife, if you're shaming your wife, if you're making fun of your husband, if you're not listening to your parents, then don't fast. Repent. Or fast and repent. You know, 
and then do the things that God commands you to do. Love the church. Love those people in it. Love the lost. So one more section here. How shall we fast? Okay. Um, Matthew 6, 17. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So we're fasting, we're mourning, but don't act all morbid. Okay, this is a time of joy, too, because we are drawing closer to the Lord. What is better than that? What is better than that? Have joy while you're fasting. Take joy in the Lord and his presence and what you're doing. Take joy in it. And again, there's ways to do it. Skip a meal every day um, and pray. Fast from pleasant foods. Snickers, coffee, you know. But make sure you're afflicting yourself. And when you get hungry, when you desire those things, it's like a reminder. It's like an alarm clock saying, okay, I need to pray. And I can either satisfy my flesh or I can pray and pour out my heart to the Lord. Right? Um, If you are going to do a full fast, I recommend that you start this week. Okay? Perhaps like Wednesday, Somewhere around, start getting your body prepared for it. Don't just go cold turkey, okay? I don't want you guys passing out or anything like that, all right? Start building up. Start eating vegetables. Get the sugar out of your diet, okay? Because that's one of the things. If you are eating a lot of sugar, if you're not eating healthy, you're eating McDonald's, stuff like that, just one day, a couple, me- a couple meals that you miss, you're just going to start cramping and your body's going to start freaking out, right? Especially if you eat a lot of sugars like... Just one of those things that our bodies really grow accustomed to. So start cutting that stuff out. Eat vegetables, more fruits, um, maybe some whole grains, and start eating less so that your body's more ready to do this, okay? Um, And also, turn off the TV. Turn off your cell phones. All these distractions that we have, put them away, okay? If you're married, you have kids, as a husband and wife, take turns watching the kids so that the other one can go pray or pray in the morning while they're still asleep. Pray together. But um, make sure you guys are doing this together as a husband and wife. Um, And then I'll just read this verse. It says, do not deprive one another, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Okay, that's speaking of husband and wives. Um, and sexual relations, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay? So, no hanky-panky, right? Instead of hanky-panky and those distractions, whatever it is, just seek the Lord. Pray to him. Um... And I, for the first day, I was going to break it up into three days, pray for something different each day that we're going to be fasting together. Unless the Lord says different, puts, I mean, he can change anything, right? So we can come with a plan. He can destroy it if he wants. Um, but first, I want us just to consecrate ourselves to the Lord on Monday. So we come to the park and um, repenting of sin. If there's sin of your, in your life, start repenting of it. We'll also pray with one another and um, pulled out a couple psalms 
for us to read. Psalm 6, these are the penitent psalms. Psalm 6, 32, 51, and 43, or 143. And I want to read to you Psalm 6 just real quickly. Psalm 6, because just an example. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me from, for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. My eyes waste away because of my grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplications. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed. And just pray through that. Just pray through that. Pray with the psalmist, with David there. Um, so you have those psalms on the second day. Um, we're going to pray that the Lord is glorified again, that he burdens our hearts. That he burdens our hearts. And I pray that we would stand up as a church, as a body of believers, with one heart, with the burden of one thing for the Lord, with whatever that is. And he can burden us with more. He's the Lord. But um, I really pray that we would come together as one man in the city of Golden here. And then Wednesday, we'll pray for the work the Lord has given us to do. And we'll fast and pray for the lost. Okay? So, um, so again, prepare your bodies. Get ready. Pray it up, too. Just constant prayer. All right? And um, if you want a CD of this so you can kind of remember these things, uh, let Russell know he'll make you a CD. But let's pray. So, Father, we do thank you so much. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to fast before you. I do pray that you'd break our hearts, Lord. I pray for tears, genuine tears, Lord. I pray against the spirit of hypocrisy, Lord, or even of um, the competing desires, whether it's weight loss or anything else, Lord. That wouldn't be in our heads. Um, there are physical benefits to fasting, Lord, but I pray that um, seeking you would overwhelm all of that. And Lord, give us wisdom. But we thank you so much, and I just pray that your name would be lifted up. In your name, Jesus. Amen.